Welcome to another episode of the Amford Church Sermon Podcast. We're thrilled that you're taking the time to listen to what we have to say about God, the world, and you. These sermons are recorded live during our weekly Sunday morning services. To find out more about us or to plan a visit to join us, check out our website, amfordchurch.com. Again, thanks for listening and enjoy. Good morning. Who do you trust? If I were to say to you, trust me, I'm a doctor. Would that make you, do you trust doctors? Would you trust me? I'm a doctor. Okay, well, let's try another one. Trust me, I'm a politician. Okay, no. Shame. Maybe some. I'm sure there's some good ones out there. Trust me, I'm a lawyer. Ooh. Jamie Hurd. Jamie Hurd here. Thankfully not. Trust me, I'm Auntie Bessie. You can, you can trust Auntie Bessie, can't you? Trust Auntie Bessie with all of your roast potatoes and Yorkshire, Yorkshire puddings and stuffing kind of needs. Trust me, I'm Warren Gatland. I don't know. Well, he's been made Lions coach again for the next one. So I think we can pretty much trust him, even though I know I'm half English, half Scottish. Haven't done well at the hands of Warren Gatland for the last few years. But I don't know. How do you decide who you trust? I wonder if that's... We can laugh and joke, can't we? And, or boo-hiss politicians and lawyers and all that kind of thing. But trust is something which really runs deep in our culture, not just in our culture, but in our humanity. You know, trust is an enormously important thing. Let me read you something. This is a quote, not C.S. Lewis for once. It's somebody different. Underneath everything, says Os Guinness, lies dependency and trust. From a baby with its mother, to friendships of children, to neighbors in community, to agreements among nations, life depends on trust. Counting on people is trust. Enjoying people is trust. Trust is the shared silence, the exchanged look, the expressive touch. Crying for help is trust. Shaking hands is trust. A kiss is trust. The highest reaches of love and life depend on trust. Are are there any questions more important to each of us than whom do I trust and how can I be sure? There are big important questions, aren't there? This is a brilliant book on doubt, by the way. Um, So if you want to borrow it, if that's something you're thinking of or struggling with, come and let me me know. But trust is an enormously important thing. As Os Guinness says, I think each one of us knows, from the moment of our births, we trust. We have to, don't we? We trust our mothers. And it can be extremely traumatic when that kind of trust is broken, whether it's with our parents or with friends who betray us or with a spouse or with politicians. Trust is something which runs deep in our humanity, which when it is broken, breaks us deep in our humanity, doesn't it? I think we can relate to that. We know that. We know that as a culture as well, don't we? If you're old enough, you might remember, or if you've studied a bit of history, promises of Homes for heroes. I wonder if that's maybe where it's all started to go wrong in our culture, with the war after war after war of the 20th century, with promises from politicians and leaders that weren't followed up on. I wonder if for some of us um, in the kind of millennial generation, maybe it was people like Tony Blair who first began to, to get our hopes up 
and then have those hopes dashed. We might look back now, 20 plus years later, and think many of our problems come from those times. But do you remember Tony Blair when he came in? It was almost a messianic thing, wasn't he? He was welcomed into power. Everybody thought it was going to be wonderful. Education, education, education. Or do you remember, if you're more of a kind of American watcher, Barack Obama and how hopeful things were. This, you know, yes, we can and all of that kind of stuff. Politicians often get our hopes up. But I wonder if we've learned by now in our cynical culture not to get our hopes up at all. Not just about politics or about, I don't know, big public things like war and peace, but personally too. Maybe you're old enough and you've learned enough. You've been through enough disappointments to have had your trust broken enough to be retreating into yourself, to know what it's like, to know how to defend yourself from other people. Trust is something really important, isn't it? Something that goes really deep. But when it's broken, we're broken very, very deeply. Trust is a really crucial thing. I wonder if you feel a little bit like trust has been broken when it comes to God as well, not just with politicians or with family and friends, with neighbors in our culture, in our kind of horizontal world. But I wonder if you feel trust has been broken with God. I imagine many people do. It's possibly the most popular question that I get talking to people, whether they're students or middle-aged folks or older folks, is why is there so much suffering in the world? Especially when you Christians say that there's a good God who loves us, who's powerful to do something about it. How, how can you worship a God like that? How can you praise a God like that? How can you trust or even believe in a God like that? I wonder if that trust you feel might have been broken, not just with people, but with God. So here we are today, studying, thinking about God's attributes, these things that God is. And today our, our topic is that God is trustworthy. As Em said, God is somebody worthy of our trust. So what I want to say this morning is that God is worthy of our trust. Even though we're not very good at trusting in our culture, even though perhaps we've, we feel like God hasn't, hasn't earned our trust, really when we think about it, when we read about it, when we see what he has done and who he really is, we'll find he really is trustworthy. And because he's trustworthy, we should trust him with all that we're worth. Okay, that's our little sentence to try and sum up everything today. Let me read you Psalm 33. If you've got a Bible, you can flick over to that. If you'd like one, you want to follow along, there's some on the welcome desk. Or maybe Ange, if anybody puts up a hand, you could run a little Bible out to them. If you are using a church Bible, it's page 560, and you'll find Psalm 33. Psalm 33 goes like this. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. <clears throat> Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever the purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation 
whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Amen. It's a great psalm, isn't it? I wonder if you spotted that theme of trust coming up through that. In different words, sometimes we're told about God's word and that it works, that it does what it sets out to do. And sometimes we're told about his unfailing love or his his faithfulness. Those are all kind of different um, aspects of God's trustworthiness, that he doesn't change. I liked how Ems put it, that he's the constant in the universe. If you're a a physicist, you might be into all of that kind of thing, or studying or have kids or grandchildren studying GCSEs, I imagine they'll have been remembering or trying to learn about all these different constants. Well, here we are with a God whose constant is his trustworthiness. He isn't like us. I mean, you could forgive people, and I hope that we would forgive people for being not trustworthy. There's many reasons why people wouldn't be trustworthy, not just because they're, um, I don't know, intentionally trying to lead you astray, or because they're, they're trying to mess around with you, because they're deceiving you. There might just be other kind of more innocent reasons as well. Maybe they were ill-informed. So you trusted JGM to fix your lawnmower. They put the right parts in. They did all the job as well as they could, but somebody else made a mistake and sent them a dodgy piece of equipment. And it wasn't their fault. It, it, it just didn't work out. And so perhaps our trust might be eroded in people around us because they're ill-informed or it doesn't quite work out or some accident happened. Maybe somebody changed their mind. Maybe they learned some new information. And so you were relying on them, but that was last week, and now it's this week, and and they've changed their mind. And so we feel like trust is eroded a little bit, but what about with God? What about with God when it comes to him? Can we rely and trust in him? Well, like I said, our society is not so good at trusting. What, What about us as Christians? What are we doing to restore trust? to our community here, and to our society. But it should start with us trusting God. So let me show you a couple of things from the psalm. We've read them already. We see that we can trust God in what he says and what he does. What he says, he does, and what he does is really, really good. It's pretty simple, isn't it? We trust people when they speak to us and when they act. We hear people and and they say, or they claim these different things, they tell us, and we trust them or we don't trust them. And then they do things, and that leads us to trust them or not to trust them. And it's exactly the same with God. He speaks and he acts. Sometimes those are the same thing, so it can be a little bit confusing. But let's put a line in there to begin with, because it helps us understand. He speaks and he acts, and we can trust him in both of those ways. God is worthy of our trust. He's trustworthy. So we should trust him with all that we're worth. What he says is trustworthy. It's true. Have a look at this in verse 6. So verse 4, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He's faithful in all he does. 
have a look at verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. He gathers for the starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. For he spoke, verse 9, and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. There's plenty of things that we can claim as people, that we can say that we'll do. I imagine we do it with our children and grandchildren, with each other every day. I'll, I'll see you there at one o'clock. But then something gets in our way, I don't know, our own tardiness or traffic or something, and it's five past one and our word's broken. It doesn't quite happen as we said it would. Or yes, of course you can have chocolate for dessert tonight, but then we realize, mum ate all the chocolate and there's no chocolate for dessert. And so our word is broken and it doesn't quite work out as we said it would. But with God, the word of the Lord is true. It's right. It's faithful. It's completely reliable. He doesn't just speak truth, but when he speaks, things begin to exist. Things happen. Things are ordered. When he speaks, nothing thwarts it. There's another place in Scripture that says his word never returns to an empty. As if, you know, you can be speaking to somebody and they just don't listen to you. You can be Warren Gatland and be the best man, man manager and communicator that there is, but you can still speak to players and they just won't listen to you. We know that with pretty much anybody. You can speak and just words bounce back. But with God, it never happens. His words never return to him empty. He speaks and things happen. Whatever he says is true. Whatever he says is right. Whatever he says is faithful and does its work. It acts out and completes and, and does things. So we can rely. If God has said anything to us in Scripture, we can know that it's true. We can know that it's trustworthy and reliable. Whatever promises you're holding on to, promises for hope and a future, promises for justice and mercy. If somebody wronged you and you long for God's promise, the God who loves righteousness and justice, to breathe that out and to make it happen in the world, well, it's coming. You can trust him. His word is sure and right. But not only does he speak truth, he speaks truth in inconvenient places as well, doesn't he? He speaks to the nations. Bless, um, where is that? Verse 10, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. All sorts of plans and, and other things, but no, the Lord's plans are the ones that work out. You can trust his word. But that's inconvenient, isn't it? We know that not just from this psalm, from other parts in scripture too, that God speaks to us honestly. Sometimes that's hard, isn't it? But that's how trust is built. I wonder if you've ever experienced that with a person, that they say hard things. A good friend does that, don't they? They don't just tell you what you want to hear all the time. They tell you you've got something stuck in your teeth or a little dirt around your mouth. They tell you when, when you're just not yourself, you're not acting as you hoped that you would. They challenge you. They nudge you. They speak truth in love, even when that's difficult. And God is the ultimate master of that, isn't he? He's the one who doesn't just speak nice, kind words to pat us on the back and, and kind of help us feel nice and fluffy. He speaks true words. True words that don't just give you a, a good sense of yourself, that don't just puff up your ego and help you forget your faults. But true words that help your faults actually be redeemed and fixed. True words that even if they're hard, bring hope in the future. And hope for right now as well. That's the kind of word that brings trust, isn't it? God speaks to us and says, not just what I say is true, but what I say will build you up, even if it's hard to hear. I wonder if that reminds you of anybody. We've been speaking quite abstractly, haven't we, about God and 
And David, here he is, speaking about his experience of God. I wonder if maybe you're looking at this and thinking, well, thanks, David. Thank you for your experience. Thank you for telling us uh, about what you think about God. But I'm not really so sure about this. I haven't seen this up close and personal. I'm not sure that God acts like this. So David can tell us, but have we experienced it? Have we tasted that this is what the Lord is like? Well, let's go a step further. Not just hear, hear David tell us, but let's see this in action. Remember back to the story of Jesus. Do you remember Jesus? Sitting in a room, Sammy mentioned this last week as well, and dust begins to fall through the ceiling. Little um, pinpricks and then shafts of light begin to come through the ceiling, not just through the windows. And you can see the dust falling. Jesus is in a room surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of people. There's no space there. So it turns out these four friends have brought uh, their paralyzed friend up onto the roof of the house where Jesus is. They've torn the roof apart and then they're lowering him down on a mat with some ropes into Jesus' lap. A paralytic man. Do you know what Jesus says to him? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Which is a bit of a strange thing to say to somebody in that kind of hard physical situation, isn't it? Surely Jesus could have come up with something a little bit more comforting to say in that kind of situation. Surely he could have, I, I don't know, just healed him straight away and let him go, I don't know, get used to being healed for a while and then go and talk to him about sin and all of that hard stuff we don't like to think about. But Jesus doesn't do that. As soon as the man is lowered through the roof, he sees, he knows what the deepest problem is. And even though it's uncomfortable, even though it, it might hurt, he knows it's really the thing which is at, at the deepest root of all of this man's problems. Not that he'd done anything particular to deserve that suffering. No, Jesus says elsewhere that that's not how it works. But that the world, at, at its deepest root, has turned away from God. That the root of all of our suffering and sadness, whether it's suffering that we inflict on each other intentionally or whether it's just the twisted sadness of the world that's nobody's fault, the root of all of that is that the world has gone far away from God, that we've turned away from him. So Jesus sees that root and he calls it out. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't just call him a sinner and say, get away from me until you've improved your life and then you can come back and I'll, I'll heal you and do some good things for you. He forgives his sin there and then. Do you see, that's the God whose word is right and true. That's the God who's faithful in all that he does. Who doesn't cover up the deepest problems who doesn't just try and massage our egos, but even with a man in deepest suffering, he's paralyzed and has been for years and years and years. He deals with him at his deepest level and helps him. You see, his words are trustworthy. It's true, that is his biggest problem. And his words heal and bring help. Jesus heals him a few moments later anyway, as if it's just an easy thing to do like that. And he deals a couple of years later at the cross with his deepest problem. One more little word on that deepest problem. When it comes to trust, um, we can think about sin in this way. Think back to Adam and Eve and the story of them in the garden. Do you remember that famous story of the serpent, the snake coming into the garden and, and saying to Eve, you could take that fruit. Adam's standing right there with her, silent, doesn't do anything about it. And the serpent comes along. And do you remember how he persuades them to eat? He says, God isn't really who he says he is. God isn't really trustworthy. God told you not to eat. Oh, yeah, but he's just trying to hide something from you. There's all of this promise, all of this future, all of this maturity. You could grow into being, I don't know, far more than he could ever 
imagine you to be. In fact, he's a little bit jealous of you. This is the kind of thing that the serpent says. He doesn't want you to grow. He doesn't want you to be all you could be. He doesn't want you to know all that he knows. So you need to turn away from him. You need to get rid of him. Don't trust him. Trust me instead, the serpent says. Take that fruit. He's just trying to hold something back. Don't trust him. Trust me. And Eve listens to him. Adam listens to him. They turn away. They don't trust God anymore. They begin to believe a lie about him. It's a crazy lie, isn't it? Because God has given them this whole world, given them this beautiful garden, given them every tree to eat, and then invited them to trust him by putting a tree there. But he says, don't touch that. At least not yet. Don't touch it. He's inviting them to trust him, but they don't. They decide to believe a lie that he's not trustworthy, that he's hiding something from them, that his word is actually deceiving, that his word doesn't want all that's good for them. So he can't really be all that good. He can't really be all that trustworthy. So don't trust him. Let's not trust him. Let's trust ourselves. Let's not give him all that we're worth. Let's give ourselves all that we're worth. I mean, we're worth it, aren't we? So let's take that fruit. Let's do what we want. Let's live our own way. Do you see how trust is bound up right there at the very beginning? How trust really, our trust issues, are at the deepest point of all of our sins, of all of our turning away from God. All of it is us believing a lie about God, believing that he doesn't have what's best for us, believing that if we say no to this, which God has said is wrong, actually that will deprive us of something really, really good. That's what we believe, isn't it? If I say yes to that sin, if I say yes to switching my computer late at night and, and doing what, what happens then, if I say yes to taking that when it's not mine, if I say yes to speaking those words, I know it'll feel good. But, and really, that's what I was made for. If I say no to this, yes, you see, when we choose to sin, when we're tempted by that, it's a temptation to disbelieve who God really is, isn't it? It's a temptation not to trust him that he's really good, that he wants what's best for us. It's a temptation to say, God is not for me. God doesn't really see or care for me. I could do better on my own. This person could give me more than God could give me. That sin, that thing, that pleasure is going to be much better, much more fulfilling than whatever God could give to me. So we turn our backs on him, don't we? We don't trust him any longer. We say, my word, or the word of that person, or the word of this thing that's kind of calling to me, that's more reliable, that's more trustworthy than him. I'm going to go with that instead. And so the Bible is really honest about that. That's us calling God a liar. When he says, come and trust me, say no to those sins, say yes to me. If we say no to him and yes to the sins, we're calling God a liar. Another Christian writer puts it like this. A God who lies is a God without character. And where there's no character, there can be no confidence. You see, and so if our confidence in God is eroded, if we just don't really believe that he's good anymore, that what he says is true, we end up turning away and running far from him. And we end up as we are as a culture. You eat that fruit and you realize that it's bitter in the end, isn't it? It looks so tasty, but really it just ends in suffering. You click on that link. You speak those words. And it feels good for a moment, and then the bitterness comes, doesn't it? And we learn that lesson the hard way. And yet we're so often reluctant to turn back and say, Lord, we were wrong. I trust you. I've proven that my own eyes deceive me. And I want to trust you instead. A God who lies is a God without character. And when there's no character, there can be no confidence. 
but we can have confidence because God's word is really trustworthy. But it's not just his word, it's his actions. You see, Jesus spoke and we could trust him. He said sin is our deepest problem and we can trust him. But what did Jesus do? Well, what does God do here? You see, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. He's made this pole of the world. He's gathered the seas into jars. He thwarts the plans of the people. That's plans for injustice. It's not just for the fun of it, trying to mess around with humanity. But a Lord who loves righteousness and justice thwarts the plans of those who don't love righteousness, who love injustice instead. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purpose of his heart through all generations. What God does is reliable and trustworthy. What he does, you you can stake your life on. But maybe that's a little bit abstract for us. We weren't there at creation. We just kind of live in it and and see it. Well, there's one thing for us to give us confidence, is that as we look around at the world, well, the world exists. How does it exist? It exists because, because God spoke. He brought it into being. He did it. And if it's there, then it must mean that his word can actually complete something and that it's trustworthy. So, okay, the creation there, it speaks to us of God's trustworthiness, that he made it. It exists and it keeps existing because he keeps being trustworthy. There's a bit more to it as well, that God acts and he does good. God acts and he brings justice and righteousness. That's still all a bit abstract. Well, think of Jesus again. What does Jesus do? He heals people. He casts out demons and gets rid of spiritual darkness. He feeds people who are hungry. He does things that are wonderfully reliable and trustworthy. Let me read to you what he does with his power. This is in John chapter 13. Jesus knew they're about to take the Passover and have the Last Supper together. And John says that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning back to God. All things are under his feet. Jesus is powerful. God is powerful. That means nothing can get in the way of his plans. So even if somebody did want to stand against him and try and thwart his word and and stop him from doing what he wants to do, they can't, because everything is under his feet. He has all power. But what does he do with that power? He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Isn't that amazing? Do you know any kind of prime minister or president with all the power that they have, which is really still only a tiny bit compared to Jesus, with all the power that they have, the first thing that they do after being sworn into office, have you ever seen this? Get down with their jacket off, sleeves rolled up, towel around their waist, and wash the stinky feet of their cabinet. Or go out into the streets and start not just kissing cute babies, not kissing babies, kissing cute babies, but washing and wiping nappies. Have you ever seen a politician do that? Not often, at least definitely not when cameras aren't around. But what does Jesus do? Knowing the Father has given him all authority, the first thing that he does, knowing that he's king of everything, that he could have anything in the world, that with all power he can do what he wants. It's astonishing power. The thing he does is bend down on his knees and wash the feet of these simple men, fishermen, tax collectors, people you wouldn't really spend much time with or want to anyway. Jesus washes their feet. It's a stunning use of power, isn't it? A God who has all the power there is in the universe, but uses it to serve. Uses it to graciously 
give himself to other people. Have you ever seen power like that? I mean, it could be scary, couldn't it? All this stuff that we've been talking about and thinking about in the last few weeks, if you've been here, that God is global. He's the God of all the world. He's much bigger than we can imagine. That God knows the deepest things in our hearts. That he's present everywhere, and so he hears our conversation. He's, he's with us now. That could be a terrifying thing. But with all of that power, what does he do with it? He kneels down and washes feet. With all of the power in his words, what does he do? He says, I will go to a cross. I'll be rejected. I'll die. And on the third day, I'll rise again. He doesn't even just kneel down and wash people's feet. But he then goes at the hands of Romans and Jews and people just like you and me and lets them, arranges it so that they nail his arms and his feet to a cross. And he hangs there naked in shame. The God who has all power, who could easily, like the people mock him for not doing, who could easily call down angels to rescue him, who could easily have never even bothered to begin that in the first place. But he uses all of that power to die. And then three days later to rise again, to kind of inaugurate, to bring to the beginning a new kind of humanity where all sadness would come untrue. It's an incredible thing, isn't it? That this God takes all of his power and uses it in grace. Uses it graciously to serve other people. Uses it not for himself, but to serve other people. It's amazing, isn't it? I think you can trust a God like that. If you found a person like that, well, you should, I don't know, go into business with them, marry them, um, adopt them, whatever. Just get them close to you, wouldn't you? If somebody could speak like that and you know whatever they said, you could rely on it 100%. Whatever they did would be unbelievably good, would be so unself-centered, it, was, it would almost hurt to look at them, that they would serve and give and pour themselves out even to go to their death for you. Even when you hated them, even when you, you didn't acknowledge them, even when you turned your back and said, I, I don't trust you, I trust myself instead. I'll trust, in fact, anything other than you. And yet, even with our backs to him, he goes to the cross and says, I love you. Trust me. Look what I do with this power. I don't use it to crash as we do to each other. I use it to lift up. So let's look back to our psalm and see, what do we do? Well, so what? If God is trustworthy, well, this is number one, isn't it? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. If that's the kind of God that we have, who can do anything just by speaking, and who, with all that power, uses it to serve and give and love. Well, wow, blessed is the nation, blessed is the people who have him for a God. If you had a guy like that for a boss, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? You would never be afraid to go and ask them for time off. You would never be afraid to talk to them about your difficulties. If you had a spouse like that, wow, you could share everything with them. If you had kids like that, oh, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? If you, but a God like that, not just in our own house, not just in our country, not just in our continent, but ruling the whole universe by the word of his power. And he's like this. Well, blessed are the people who acknowledge him, who know him, who have a God like that, who gives and gives and just pours out all the time. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? That's the kind of thing that stirs your heart to say, sing joyfully to the Lord. Praise him. Praise the Lord with the heart, with anything that comes to hand, with music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully unskillfully shout, scream, make a noise for him. Because he's a God like this. Wow, blessed is the nation and the people who have him as their God. 
So do you have him as your God? It's a kind of natural next question, isn't it? Can you say, down in verse 20, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is my help and my shield too. In him my heart rejoices, for I trust in his holy name. Can you say that this morning? We can see that God is trustworthy. The world exists and keeps existing because his word is worthy of trust. His son came and he gave himself for us. That's a God we can trust. So do you trust him? Have you put the whole weight of your life into trusting him as you are with your chair at the moment? Perhaps you've just kind of looked on from a distance and you kind of believe it sounds good. Yeah, I kind of trust that. I can see how it makes sense. But maybe you haven't trusted yourself to him. Maybe that's a strange idea. Let me give you just a quick story. Think of um, some people watching a man on a tightrope walking across Niagara Falls. I think plenty of people have done it, so we know that it's possible. But imagine just before, imagine this is the first time it's ever been done. And you're there watching, and the man says, do you believe, do you trust that I can walk across on this tightrope and not die? And maybe a few hands go up and like, yeah, okay, well, he wouldn't be here, we wouldn't be here he didn't know he could do it. So, okay, yeah, we'll trust him for now. And then he does it. Easy. All right. So he comes back the other side again, and he says, right, this time I've got a wheelbarrow. Do you trust that I can push this wheelbarrow over this tightrope across Niagara Falls, and I won't fall off? Do you trust that I can do it without dying? Anybody? A few more hands go up. Yeah, it's a bit more difficult with a wheelbarrow. So he does it. Easy. Fine. It comes back, and now he says, who wants to come with me? Do you trust that I can put you in this wheelbarrow and walk across Niagara Falls with you in it and both of us won't die. Do you trust me? Well, I'll trust that he can do it with someone else, but I'm not going to trust that he does it with me. Definitely not. So is it, are you in that same kind of boat with Jesus? Are you looking on? Maybe you've been here for years, looking on and saying, oh, it's great that those people trust him. Oh, I like it. You know, it's nice for them. It's, it's good. And I kind of see why they would. Yeah, I'll put my hand up. I can see that, that you would if you were that way inclined, want to, you know, even maybe get into the wheelbarrow, but not for me, definitely not. So I kind of semi-trust it, but but no, not with my full weight. I've got too many questions. I've got too many doubts. I'm not really sure he's that trustworthy. Do you see how there's really not a fence to sit on? Do you see that you either trust him or you don't? That you either trust him for yourself, and you really think he can do it, that whatever he says comes true, that whatever he does is good, He even gave his life for you. If you really understood that, you would say, I want to be one of those people right now. No more waiting. No more stopping. Jesus, would you be mine? Would you make me one of your people? So that's our second thing. Well, first, praise him. If you know him, if you trust him, sing out when we sing again in a moment. Number two, well, maybe you haven't started, so come and trust him. Come and throw your whole weight on him. How would you do that? Well, pray. He's alive. Right, three days later, he rose again. He's not just a, another hero who died. We don't just hear, we don't just come here kind of celebrating his memory. We celebrate that he's with us today. He's present. That he knows you. That he sees you. And that he's welcoming you to come to him. So would you come and trust him? He's trustworthy. So trust him with all that you're worth, with all of your weight, with absolutely everything you are. Come and pray to him and say, Lord, I've got lots of questions. Well, if you do, Come and try and have them answered. We love to try and answer honest questions with honest answers in Amethyst Evangelical Church. But don't wait too long. There's always going to be an element of, I'm not really sure, isn't there? Until you actually get in the wheelbarrow and go across with the tightrope walker.
You're never really going to be sure until you sit your weight on that chair, until you take a bite of that apple and see, yep, it is good, it's tasty. So come and taste and see that the Lord is good. A couple of other things, so what for us as Christians? Well, let's be about the work of restoring trust in our culture, in our community. How do we do that? There's plenty of ways we can do that, but, but really be a trustworthy person. If you're somebody who belongs to God's nation, to his people, if he's your God, if he's your father, well, then we should take on some family resemblance, shouldn't we? We should begin to look like him. So when you say things, let your yes be yes and your no be no. No need to get into swearing on this or swearing on that. Jesus is very serious about that. He just says, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Matthew 5, verse 37. If you want to go and have a look at that at home. So when you say you'll do things, do them. It applies just as much for me. I'm terrible for being at least 10 minutes late to everything. So you can hold me to it as well, and I'll try and hold you to it. When we say we'll do something, let's do it. When we say, whatever, when we say we'll do something, let's do it. When we say we won't, let's not. Let's be trustworthy people in all that we say and in all that we do. And as we do that, we'll be little flickering lights. I know nothing in comparison to to God's great sun of trustworthiness. We'll be little flickering lights, but at least in a dark world, people might say, Where's that light coming from? I'd like a bit more of that in my life. Where did you get that kind of trustworthiness from? Could you introduce me to the one who helps you to rest and relax in him and cope with all the lack of trust and cynicism? So let's be trustworthy people. And let's be people who restore trust. You see, if you have somebody like that who's an anchor, if you have God underneath and all around you who's as trustworthy and reliable as he is, who's faithful and just, whose faithful, steadfast love goes on forever. If you have somebody like that, then you can cope with anything, can't you? Even when the closest spouse, the most beloved friend, betrays you. We can weep, and perhaps we'll be down for months, and yet, really, there's a rock underneath it all. There's a steady footing, even in those sad circumstances. So let's be people who are restoring trust in our community, in our relationships in our culture, in our society. Let's be little flickering lights in a dark world that point towards the God who's trustworthy. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Father, we thank you so much that you are a trustworthy God. We ask now that you would help us to throw all of our weight upon you and trust you with everything we're worth. Amen. We hope that you found today's message useful and challenging. And we want to take a moment to offer you some next steps that you can take right now. Why not get in touch with us via email at contact at amfordchurch.com if you have any follow-up questions or things that you'd like to discuss. If you want to know more about what's going on at Amford Church, make sure to like us on Facebook. And lastly, check out our YouTube channel for video teaching in addition to our sermon podcasts. Thanks for listening.